Things have been a little insane over the course of the last few weeks. Previously on the Real Person Real Needs podcast, I mentioned that my wife and I recently were able to get pre-approved for a mortgage after over six years of being trapped in rental world. If you're tuning in for the first time, then I encourage you to go back and listen to episodes 4, 51, and 52 to get the full housing history. Now, we always want to keep our housing expenses lean and mean, so I decided to get pre-approved now based on my first two years working in real estate rather than wait until I made more money. Since I work in the industry now, I have a much better feel as to what's available in our price range and the current interest rates and loan programs. I also want to be sure that we're always in a good position regardless of how well or poor the real estate market is doing. First, we found a home that seemed too good to be true. It had every key component that we were looking for in a new home, and it was across the street from a diner. Now, that may sound like a weird thing, but I've always had this weird social fantasy of walking into a diner, cozying up to the counter for my usual breakfast, and shooting the breeze with the locals well into my 70s. Excuse me, flow? (laughs) That's what makes me think of. Maybe they'd base a screenplay on it, or a television series. Anyway, we decided to put in an offer. The problem was that it appeared that there were three or four other people who had the same social fantasy. Or maybe they just liked the house too. Needless to say, we didn't get it. Then we found another home that we loved. But unfortunately, it needs a lot of work that we simply aren't prepared to do. Maybe if we had more capital. Or maybe if I could swing a hammer without damaging my beautiful guitar playing fingers. As a quick aside, along with my vocal cords, my fingers are what I refer to as the money makers. You can listen to episode 43 to understand that reference. We decided to take a step back from that house. Then we found a twin home, not my preference, but it had been recently renovated. The overall location was great in terms of proximity to work, family, etc. However, the home's specific location left a little to be desired. We decided to put in an offer, which was then rejected. And to be honest, we weren't that disappointed because we truly trust that God is going to orchestrate our search and that it must not have been the home for us. And that gave us a sense of peace. That was until less than an hour later when the listing agent called back and told us that the sellers had reconsidered our offer and accepted. After that phone call, we went through a whirlwind of emotions. We thought we knew what we wanted and trusted that God had closed the door. And then here it was swung open again rather unexpectedly. So after that, every 10 minutes I went from feeling excited to being overwhelmed with dread. You see, it's been over 10 years since we bought our first home. And even though I now work in the industry, I guess I wasn't quite prepared for this much anxiety. We thought we knew what we were getting into, but I guess you never can predict the future. After we went under contract, we took our kids through the home so that they could see it. And that's when we started to notice a few things that weren't quite what they first appeared to be. Right, you guys ready? Yep. Um, that way. You ready? Watch out. How? You're going you're gonna to stay with us and you're going to settle down. Okay. Ooh. That's a bed door. It's like painted shut. <laughs> Hey, look whose business cards here. Because they didn't have any showings. Because <laughs> they haven't had any more cards since I yeah. dropped it off. They have one other showing. Can I want to buy this? What, Jess? Don't touch it now. This is why I want to buy this. Yeah, brand new refrigerator. And, shh, 
Brand new oven, brand new microwave, brand new dishwasher. And look, we're gonna get. Look, we're gonna get stools, so you can sit here and eat breakfast in the morning. We're thinking about making this your bedroom and that your closet for your toys and all this that's stuff. That's, you could fit a plethora. I'm gonna have to ask about there. that. I mean, there obviously isn't though. Yeah, I know. Maybe that's what that plug up there is for adding it later. Maybe, maybe they haven't installed it yet. Maybe they're not going to. Yeah, but that's that's misleading because they said it. So I'm gonna email her. And there's a big divot right there, so I didn't notice before until today. What is that? Mom, can we go up on the next floor now? Just a, what, they just put carpet over a hole? Yeah. Hey, Mom, well, they come up in the home inspection and they'll say, no, this was covered up. Like, do this right. They stand by their work, supposedly. That's not okay. They can like, fix the floorboards. That's not a big deal for them. As everyone should, we then went through the process of getting the home inspected. It's necessary, but never an enjoyable experience because all of a sudden you see every flaw that the home has that you didn't notice before. And this is an older home, so it's definitely got its share of flaws. So I feel like they just use the same um, kitchen counters for everything and they just fit it in without making sure that like they, you get the same. You can't even open the refrigerator. I mean, Yeah, it's all the way. There's no way they can do it. I was anything. just saying, I think you take some of that off. They do that. But they can't because it's up against the counter. Yeah. For the most part. Don't fit. <laughs> Don't work. This is like all the way up, basically. So. And it's not even touching there, it's down here. So. Need to replace the refrigerator. And they're including it, so. It's, it's been offered with it, so they need a refrigerator that's actually going to fit in there. Now, you're forced to decide what you're willing to deal with and what would be considered deal breakers. Ugh. Talk about pressure. As a real estate agent, I'm supposed to have all the answers, but it's an entirely different ballgame when you're the one buying the house for yourself. It definitely gives me even more empathy for my clients than I already had. The home inspection uncovered quite a number of things that gave us pause, but after getting the opinions of a few specialists, I thought for sure that we'd be able to come to some agreement. But once we replied with our requested repairs, we found ourselves waiting and waiting for a response. Now, this home was a flip, which, if you don't have HGTV, is a home that was purchased on the cheap, either from a sheriff sale, short sale, or foreclosure, renovated, and then put back on the market to turn a profit. You probably hear the radio ads all the time. So the sellers had no connection to the home whatsoever. And the fact that we had not really connected on that intangible level to the house made the whole transaction feel a little off. In my experience, negotiations rarely take as long as the time allotted because most people want closure and don't want the process to drag on. For some reason, the fact that we were not hearing back quickly made us anxious. We'd really tried to be reasonable in our requests, 
The listing agent even assured me that the number one item on our list would most likely be handled without question, since it's a common hazard in older homes and not worth ignoring. During the waiting period, my wife and I had started to become okay with all of the other items on our list not getting done, as long as priority number one was handled. After four days, the agent called us back to give us an update. It wasn't an official response, but at least was going to give us some insight into the negotiations. And we were shocked that there was even a question as to whether this particular issue, our number one priority, was going to be a deal breaker. In reality, it was the only deal breaker. The sellers were willing to fix all of the smaller items, but not the one that really mattered to us. Unfortunately, this conversation, coupled with the fears and anxiety we had already been wrestling with, led us to conclude that this home was not the one for us. We felt that if this home had been completely renovated, yet this particular item completely ignored, we couldn't reasonably assume that other items would not crop up in the future due to being overlooked. We finally had to make the difficult decision to walk away from the deal. The funny thing is, neither of us are that broken up about it. After having looked at a number of houses, we came to the conclusion that we probably wouldn't find a nicer home in our price range that was in this close proximity to work, family, etc. So our decision to make an offer on this particular home was based purely on logistics and reason, rather than on an emotional connection. The situation surrounding our decision aside, I don't think either of us were in love with this particular house. So that definitely makes the decision a little bit easier to swallow. So I made the phone call to terminate our agreement and effectively reset our home search. We spent over $700 on the various inspections with nothing to show for it. But as I said before, we actually feel better than we did when we were under contract. I'd thought that my lack of emotional connection was merely because I now work in real estate and that it's more business than personal for me. But as it turns out, I believe that my gut was telling me something and I'll be sure to listen more attentively the next time around. Because sometimes you just need to know when to walk away. My family and I have started the process of packing yet again, but hopefully this time it's for the long haul. We're buying a home in Royersford, Pennsylvania, and we're really excited to finally put down roots after a few years of transient living. If you want to go back through the archives, you can find out our brief, maybe not so brief history of real estate. (laughs) Go back and listen to episode four, episode 55. You'll get the gist. Of course, I won't be totally sure of anything until we're handed the keys on settlement day. Too many moving parts that need to line up just right to get excited just yet. You know that we've been in the market for a new home and recently went under contract with a scheduled settlement day of May 8th, 2017. That's today. But just 12 days ago, while I was preparing dinner for my family... I received the news that our mortgage application had hit an unforeseen roadblock and was going to be declined on a technicality. This looks extraordinarily bad. Now, it had nothing to do with our credit score or our ability to afford the loan. It was strictly based on the total number of rooms in the condo that we've owned since 2006. 
Are you kidding me? We were 12 days away from settlement. We had already paid out over $2,500 of our own money on inspections and deposits to get this house. And now, after this condo has been an albatross around our necks for over 10 years, it was once again going to destroy our dream of finding our long-term home. At first, I was too filled with disbelief to really have an emotional reaction. You see, I'd tread so carefully and kept my emotions in check throughout most of this process, not wanting to get too excited in the event that something went wrong. We had already had to walk away from one house and been outbid on three others, so I was sure to not let myself get carried away this time around. But as we got closer and closer to settlement, it seemed like everything was clicking into place, and I couldn't help but get excited. That was until that one phone call changed everything. While trying to process this new information, I ended up not even eating the dinner I had prepared. Plus, I had to run out of the house quickly with no answers because I had a callback for a professional theater company. Somehow, I had to pull myself together and play make-believe while all of this was swirling in my head. The questions I asked so many times that night was why would God allow us to get this far to have everything fall apart? Our desire to move is not a selfish materialistic pursuit. We're buying a very modest house for our family. So modest, in fact, that the home inspector thought we were buying it as an investment property. I guess he couldn't imagine a real estate agent wanting to buy it as a primary dwelling. In addition, we're in the process of applying to house an exchange student who will be attending the school operated by my home church. These seem to be somewhat noble reasons, but I was left to wonder why are we hitting this roadblock now after all this time and effort? And I think the response I'm in the process of receiving is, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to fight for it? There are going to be moments in life that you just want to throw in the towel, like I did. But you never know, you may just have one haymaker left. And as I said to my wife when we first received the devastating news, if I have to go down, I'm going to go down fighting. So we immediately went into scramble mode, wondering if there was any way that we could still make this deal happen. Maybe if we change the type of mortgage financing we're getting, or maybe a different mortgage company altogether. Maybe we could rob a bank. Just kidding. After exhausting all of our options, it seemed that all was lost. So we started to pray hard. Now, I know that prayer probably should have been the first thing we did, and I'm sure my wife prayed immediately, but I tend to use my logic and reason first. And when I realize that I have none, then I go to God. When I say we prayed hard, I mean angrily. Well, for me at least. I was angry, and to be honest, I pleaded with God for answers. I begged him to show me what I was supposed to learn through this process, regardless of whether or not we ended up getting the house. Here's a useful lesson for you. Give up. Just quit. Because in this life, you can't win. Yeah, you can try. But in the end, you're just going to lose big time because the world is run by the man. I couldn't tell you what I prayed exactly, but I'm sure it wasn't too pleasant. Maybe God was really only listening to my wife and her desperate prayers. But I'm pretty sure that God is able to bear the brunt of my inward temper tantrums and private rebellions and come out unscathed. It's kind of like a little kid trying to fight a big strong man, and he just has to put out his hand on the kid's forehead to keep him at arm's length while the angry child just flails and swings violently in the air. 
Yeah, that's a pretty funny image if you think about it. I woke up the next morning not wanting to face what seemed to be insurmountable odds. It's moments like this that test your fortitude as a person. And in the past, these very moments have sent me into a downward spiral of depression. However, my wife was reading her Bible that morning, and in her daily reading, she happened to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11 and read this passage in which Jesus is speaking. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As I laid in bed, she shared this with me, and it helped me to lift my head off the pillow, albeit slowly, and start my day. You see, somewhere along the way, I allowed someone to convince me that ultimately, what is meant to be will happen easily. And if you encounter something with obstacles or difficulties, then it must not be meant to be. But that's just not how life works. Things that are worth it are not handed to you. No one owes you anything. In fact, the things you want the most usually beat you to your knees several times throughout the process. Hey, fool, you ready for another beating? You should have never came back. Miraculously, the following day I heard from the loan processor that we were able to resubmit the loan with additional clarifications, which led to the mortgage being approved after all. What a crazy 24 hours. A few days later, we got our official clear to close from the mortgage company. Now, four months ago, we received the first glimmer of hope that we could possibly buy a home, even without being able to sell our condo, which is something we thought we had to do first. This news seemed too good to be true after having been renting our primary residence for the last five years, all the while trying to sell our condo for over six years. Over the course of the last 10 years, we've had some pretty significant life changes almost every year. Some were by choice, some were thrust upon us, and some, unfortunately, were because of my own failings as a person. In 2006, my wife and I bought the aforementioned condo, or the Albatross, as I have lovingly chosen to refer to it. In 2007, the dark years began. You see, my secret addiction to pornography was first brought into the light in 2007, and as a result, I lost my job in ministry that I'd had for over two years. But God was gracious, as he often is. He'd provided a wife that I adore, and who loved me enough to not give up on me. She was committed to keeping our marriage intact, as was I. Sadly, though, this was not the last time my addiction would almost ruin my life. But a glimmer of hope. In 2008, we were blessed with our firstborn son, Jesse. Later that year, unfortunately, my addiction reared its ugly head, since I'd been really negligent in getting the serious help that I needed. 
I tried to manage my addiction to no avail. I was let go from another job for violating the internet usage policy. I haven't shared this in a public forum. A lot of people know this story, but not in such a public way. My hope in sharing this is to maybe help others. This was completely devastating to me. Here I was, a husband and now a father, and I had a serious addiction problem. Since then, God's brought about healing and the right people to walk with me on the long road to recovery. But back to the story, again, by God's grace, I was able to find a job quickly. You see, I had developed a lot of great relationships and even had former supervisors and coworkers bending over backwards trying to help me find a new job. I started a new job less than 30 days after I was let go. I knew I had to be up front with any new company who would be considering me, so I began what would become a pattern of blatant honesty in my life. I told every HR person I interviewed with from that point on about why I was fired. And thankfully, they found my candor so refreshing that they decided to hire me. Thus began a three-year career at Univest Bank. Now, I'll always be grateful to the folks over at Univest for taking a shot on me. In 2009, we decided to switch to a church that was closer to home. For those of you who are not church-going folk, this may seem like not that big a deal. But it was very difficult leaving the church I'd grown up in, worked for for four years, and had been a part of for over 20 years. I also was fortunate enough to get promoted at the bank and transferred to a different branch, which meant starting over, in a sense. In 2010, we had our second son, Leland. In 2011, we tried for the first time to sell our condo, a lost cause. Later that year, I left the banking industry entirely for a better opportunity at a pharmaceutical company. In 2012, we moved and began renting a farmhouse while also becoming landlords for the very first time. That was a stressful but enjoyable year. At the end of 2013, we made the decision to leave our church and help with a church plant in our hometown. In 2014, my wife got the urge to go back to teaching as a career, and I was more than supportive. At that time, I was going through a severe depression over the direction of my life, career-wise. And it was during 2014 that I began to explore other options and found real estate. In 2015, I left a salary position to start working for myself. And later that year, we were essentially displaced from the rented farmhouse that we loved so much and had to find what we hoped to be our final stop before finding a permanent home. In 2016, in light of some serious concerns, we had to make the difficult decision to move on from the church plant to which we had given two years of our lives. Needless to say, I've felt very transient over this last decade. And to come this close to finally having some sense of stability seems almost like fool's gold. Now, I also understand that it's just a house and it can't provide ultimate peace and security. But to be this close to a small dream coming true is so nerve-wracking and so emotionally draining that I just can't wait till it's all over. Well, I'm happy to report that we finally made it. And then 12 days later, on May 20th, we moved in and held in freeze over. 
What an incredibly satisfying feeling to have finally accomplished this goal, which has been over six years in the making. My in-laws were kind enough to take our kids for the weekend so that we could focus on the move. It was a long and tiresome process. Not only that, but it always seems that I have a gig the night we move. So I proceeded to make the hour-long drive to Quakertown to perform with my dad after nearly 12 hours of loading and unloading furniture and boxes. We performed for four grueling hours, and then I made the one-hour drive back home to arrive safely in my new driveway at 2.45 a.m., about 20 hours since I'd woken up the day before. But it was all worth it. You know why? Because I can finally grill again. Oh, the assortment of meats that will be grilled in my backyard. I can almost taste them. In fact, I already purchased a charcoal grill and smoker, assembled it, and made burgers on it. The day after we moved, my wife and I decided to check out the local diner in hopes of immersing ourselves in our new hometown. It was everything I hoped it would be. I envisioned the two of us growing old together and sharing thousands of eggs and cups of coffee, not to mention the playful banter with the waitstaff and cast of characters this all-American small town provides. We still have plenty of boxes to unpack first, but before long, you are going to see some cool new things begin to happen in the world of Desiato Homes and the real person, real needs community. I have so many ideas on how to get involved in the community that I can't wait to implement. You have no idea how excited I am to put down roots and say without reservation that Royersford has never seen the likes of me before. I've dreamed of living in a small town for nearly a decade, but seemed to always be on the outskirts. We waited and prayed that God would give us the right home, and unbelievably, I sort of got two small towns for the price of one. Here's a brief geography lesson. Royersford, Pennsylvania, sits on the border of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, along the edge of the Schuylkill River. On the other side of the river in Chester County, PA, is the small town of Spring City, Pennsylvania. These two towns are connected by a bridge and over a century of tradition. Eager to embrace the traditions of my new hometown, I recently visited the Springford Historical Society Museum in order to trace the history of these sister cities. There I met a man who was nearly 90 years old and a lifelong resident of Royersford. He was volunteering his time as a host. He took me through a library of newspaper articles and books about notable people and places in the area. He also allowed me to view several artifacts from the days when Royersford and Spring City were booming with industry, due in large part to the Reading Railroad, which used to pass straight through the towns. We even found his high school yearbook, back when Royersford and Spring City had their own rival schools. There's books all there, all high school yearbooks. Oh, really? All these many years. Really? Is yours back there? Really? What year was yours? 45. 45? Royersford, 45. Oh, I'm saying that's It should be. I don't know. Oh, okay. Royersford, 45, you said, right? 
Does that look familiar? That's definitely familiar. Yeah. Oh, wow. Look at that material. They don't make them like this anymore, <laughs> that's for sure. Let's see. Let's see if we can find it. It's fresh, man. You recognize these pictures? My name is pictures, yes. Yeah. Let's see. No, that's junior. You're the next one, right? Seniors. Let's see if I can find you here. <laughs> is that you? Yep. That's you? That's me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that's so incredible. Club science. Varsity. You played football, basketball, baseball? Yep. Man, you were quite the uh, quite the job. <laughs> Basketball captain? Yep. I was actually inducted into the Navy before I graduated. Oh, really? How long did you serve in the Navy? A little over a year. Okay. I was inducted. I was sworn in on VE Day. Oh, wow. During Europe Day. Wow. And then went on for a little while in the Japanese surrender. So the war was over pretty quickly. And we, uh, you we dodged the... I was able to get out. Yeah. That's a close call. I'm sure. I'm sure your parents were relieved. I share this experience in order to whet the appetite for my next podcast venture. As I've matured, I've come to really love history, particularly local history. I've also grown to love documentaries, and that's why I'm in the pre-production stages of launching yet another podcast called Discover Spring Forward. It's kind of a passion project for me and my way of getting immersed in the local history and tradition of my new hometown by interviewing local residents, business owners, and prominent members of the Springford area. It's still in its initial planning stages, but you'll be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. This will be great for anyone who likes to hear about small-town America or is someone who lives in or around the area. Now, this will bring my total number of podcasts to five. So I guess it's safe to say that the Real Person Real Needs Network is off and running. In the meantime, I encourage all of you to go to www.discoverspringford.com and like the Facebook page. That's where all of the updates will be on the progress of the new podcast. Be real, keep it real. Thanks for listening and Godspeed. Godspeed.